Hello everyone and welcome to The Regular, a Words and Nerds spin-off podcast with your host Nathan J. Phillips. I'm a writer of speculative fiction, sometimes an editor and always a fan of any book with a good story. I'm recording today on Nunnable Land and I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging of the Nunnable people. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Kashak Akech, who's a writer, poet, and storyteller, and a, just a general lover of words. Now, since the moment she learned how to write in English at the age of six, Kashak has been writing out the stories that live inside her mind. Fascinated by human experience, the untold words, and the unsung songs of the day-to-day, as an early career writer, Kashak finds herself drawn to stories that challenge perception and go against the grain of the typical, while also being grounded in truth. Kashak's deep love of stories and world building is existential. Kashak's manuscript, Hopeless Kingdom, about a young Sudanese family coming from Egypt to Australia and settling through and following the, the lives of some of the, uh, the members uh, thereof, comes out on the 1st of August and it was, it's an amazing story that I highly recommend to everyone. Uh, it's recently won the Dorothy Hewitt Award as a joint winner uh, with Joshua Kent. And without any further ado, before I gush too much on it, welcome to the podcast, Kashak Akech. Thanks for having me. I'm really That's excited it. to be here. I look, I'm pretty excited, not just because I've uh, I've done a bit of a um, a bit of a a few in a row of science fiction fantasy, and I feel like I owe it to the rest of the genres out there to uh, to actually you know um, get out there a bit and di- diversify the, uh, the stories a bit. But not only that. This story, Hopeless Kingdom, it's one that I, I'll be honest, I didn't expect to connect with in the same way I did. It's about experiences that are very, very different to mine, but it's done in a uh, in a fantastic way that it brings it back to a very personal level as well as, um, uh, I'll get the words right eventually. While <laughs> I stumble over them and people are wondering, what the heck is this book he's talking about? Uh, do you want to give us a, a quick pitch? Yeah, of course. I'd love to. So... Um, Hopeless Kingdom is, it's, it's a work of fiction, but it is very heavily inspired by, um, my journey and my family's journey from Sudan to Egypt in two, in the year 2000, and then Egypt to Australia in the year 2003. Um, and it follows a story of a daughter named Akira. And at the start of the book, she's six. And at the end of the book, we find that she's 21. And also uh, her mother, Teresai, who at the start of the book is in her early 30s. And by the end of the book, she's, you know, edging towards her 50s. Um, And so the book sort of follows their journey, um, you know, moving from place to place, um, finding themselves, but also um, trying to find communities to belong in finding a sense of belonging, essentially, and also the consequence of, you know, when you don't fit, you know, when you're an obscure shape of a puzzle in a community that, you know, seemingly has its own rhythm to it. Um, And, you know, it also sort of explores the complexity of their mother-daughter relationship and how um, Tarasai, the mother, coming to Australia in her mid-30s, um, the impact that sort of has on has on her, um, and you know, Akita coming to Australia at six years old, she sort of grows up in those sort of communities, and she you know grows up essentially as a first generation Australian. And so, throughout the story, you sort of see how their bond changes because of that, um, 
And yeah, what was the second question? I forgot. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure because I was enthralled with the answer. Um, <laughs> and you know, there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of complexities in there as well. As you mentioned, yeah. there's coming to Australia at different ages. So there's there's Santo, the oldest, who um, yep. has without giving away too much he has some um, some really good points and yep. some troubled points as well that yeah. um, make his experience um being very different to um Akira's. yeah and absolutely. yeah and and Zande as well well that was one for me yeah. that I was I was really interested in because yeah. he was born mm-hmm. in Australia and yep. he had a very different experience to the rest very growing different up. experience yeah um, yeah, and in some senses, he's sort of oblivious to the things that his older siblings have, you know, experienced and all the moving and shaking and the adapting they've had to, you know, do to or make to themselves to be able to fit. Whereas Zande, because he is born in Australia, um, it's sort of um, lucky in that sense because he's been protected from it. Yeah, and it, it builds up the, its own challenges as well in the sense yeah. that he... Um, He's the only one for whom Arabic is a second language. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. was a really interesting, I, I'd never, I know it sounds stupid, but I never considered that before. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, all right. so again, before I get too much into that, mm-hmm. uh, one of the the reasons this was, was sent through was uh, because it, uh, it won a pretty uh, prestigious award, being the Dorothy yeah. Hewitt Award with uh, UWAP. Um, yeah. Did you want to give us a quick... Uh, a quick rundown of how that journey went because that, that's a, it's a pretty big award it's as yep. I believe it's that 10k and is, is it the publishing contract or is it the opportunity to work with publishers towards a contract I can't remember no it is a publishing contract nice yeah, yeah. so in the year of 2020 I was a joint winner with Joshua Kemp mm-hmm. um, and his book of course um, Bunja Warren also won the award um, but I wrote Hopeless Kingdom at the start of 2020 mm-hmm. um, and it was at the height of the pandemic after a trip to New Zealand. Um, and yeah, when I got after back. After is the important bit for pandemics. Yeah, after. after. <laughs> yeah. yeah, went to New Zealand in February, came back um, the last week of Feb. Um, and then going into March, we went into a nationwide lockdown. Um, and I was bored, but also extremely inspired by my trip um, to New Zealand, but also going to New Zealand, it was the first time that I'd left Australia since coming here. And so it was the um, first time that I became aware that Australia is the place that I consider home with every sort of fibre of my being. Um, And it seems so simple, but it sort of, I found it extremely profound, especially, you know, it was something that I thought about every single day when I woke up in New Zealand, like, oh, okay, this is not home. Even if it sounds strange to say, but the feeling of the ground beneath my feet felt so different. Um, and I couldn't come back to Australia. So just because it felt like such a, it was the first time that I was like, okay, this is a homecoming. I'm coming back home to Australia. Um, and so because of the sequence of events, you know, coming back home to Australia from New Zealand and then going into lockdown, it was like, okay, I'm locked at home. Um, and the story of Hopeless Kingdom that, I, you know, I've been thinking about for years at this point, it sort of felt like the right time to sit down and write it from start to finish. And the only thing that sort of kept me, that held me back in the past was because of that it was such a deeply personal story. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I just I sat down and I I wrote it from March to May and I finished it May 31st. <laughs> wow, that, that's a 
that is a quick time frame to get it through. So is that is that just first draft or is that going through? Editing? That was the very first draft, and I okay. sent the very first draft. I feel a little draft. better now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sent the very first draft um, to the Vogel Award, mm-hmm. and they sort of got back to me in September of that year, saying, "Look, um, thank you for your submission. Um, we've selected a winner, um, but unfortunately, it's not you." And I was shattered for a little bit, but also I had absolutely no expectation to even get an email back from them acknowledging that I'd submitted my work into their award. Um, And so, yeah, it took me about a couple of days. Um, I felt sorry for myself for a little bit. And then I decided to go back to the drawing board and not um, look back at the first draft of Hopeless Kingdom with critical eyes. You know, as a writer, you probably understand, you know, not to be so harsh. And so I reread it um I cringed a whole lot but um, <laughs> I know that feeling <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but I pretty much um started editing it from the very first page till till the last and um upon completion it was like it felt like I'd rewritten it mm-hmm. um and it was such a all, another huge moment and then from then on I submitted it to the Dorothy Hewitt Award um and that was in November 2020 and then come March 2021, I find out that not only had I been shortlisted for the Vogel Award, but I'd also won the Dorothy Hewitt Award for <laughs> the same manuscript. Nice. So, yeah, I didn't expect it at all because, you know, as a young writer, I've always had this notion that to go anywhere as a writer or to be anybody as a writer, you need to have, you know, spent decades honing your craft to make a name for yourself and be respected. So for me to be who I am and where I am, I'm still beside myself. I still can't believe it. <laughs> well, it's it's definitely uh, worthwhile. And, you know, there's there are um, certainly plenty of uh, stories out there and plenty of authors out there who have spent decades owning their craft and there's yeah. others who um, I'm incredibly jealous of who just have the knack for it. <laughs> no, it's it's one of those things. It's, um, uh, you know, as, as you're saying, this is one that you've thought about for a long yep. time. So I've no doubt that the the effort's gone in there and that's paid off, um, obviously, yeah. in the uh, in the rewards and all that. But, um. In regards to you mentioned before that this is uh, a, a quite a personal story. It's 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 not an autobiography, but there's certain yeah. elements in it that uh, yeah. you've alluded to that are like that. Yeah. How did you find writing that story so per like so personally? And yeah. I, I guess I'm trying to say which parts did you look at and go, no, I have to diverge from my story here. Yeah. Um. And you know, how did that all go for you? Yeah. Well, um, when I hopeless, I think the reason why I um, I I've had hopeless kingdom, the story. Um, I've had Akita and Tarasai, um, sort of in the back of my mind for two years before I wrote it. Um, and one of the things that that my biggest hesitation was that it was because it was very, very personal. And so the thing that sort of got me over that was, you know, I wanted to write a story that really paid um, homage to my mum. Because, yeah, at the time that I wrote it, um, I was sort of at the stage of my life where I was reflecting at the woman I was becoming and looking to the woman my mother is and seeing all the parts of her in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I first wrote Hopeless Kingdom, the very first draft, I wrote it because I was bored, but also <laughs> it was a very, very selfish act because I um, didn't think anybody besides myself and my mother was going to read it. 
So it was very, it was easy to be brave knowing that. Um, mm -hmm. And it sort of, it started off that way for the first maybe 10 chapters. And then as I kept going, I was like, oh, hang on. This feels <laughs> like something that's so much bigger than myself. Um, and so the very first, the very first 10 to 15 pages were, I'd say, autobiographical. Um, mm -hmm. And Akira was very much a mirror reflection of me. And Tarasai was a mirror reflection of my mother. Um, and as the book sort of went on, as I continued writing the pages, that became less so. Um, and I think it's not only, you know, to protect myself, but also I wanted Akira and Tarasai and also Santo, the brother, yeah. um, to be people that, um, you know, a young Sudanese boy, young Sudanese girl, young African girl, a mother, you know, a father, they could see themselves in, um, in those stories and feel heard and seen because, you know, as first generation Australians, our community is still very, very young. And to anybody who isn't in those communities, it's very easy to um, think that, you know, we don't exist because the noise that we make is so quiet, if that makes sense. Um, and sorry, I've I lost my train of thought because I was just going on. <laughs> That, that's all good. Like I, yeah, it's it's a really interesting one because one thing that um and I won't go too much into into this, but it is interesting that you say that the community itself is you know doesn't necessarily make a lot of noise because it seems that there are a lot of people who are willing to make noise on behalf of the community and not necessarily yeah. in the interests of the community. So that was really um to hear it from a sort of an own voices perspective. Um, yeah. it was it was very eye opening and. One of the things that I think stood out, and again, I'm, trying, I'm not going to try and go into spoilers here. Yeah. But there's a particular scene with, uh, I'll say the scene with Jacob in the school office. Yes. And the entire dynamic of the room and mm -hmm. the entire dynamic of the conversation changed yep. because one person mm -hmm. who seemed more familiar to the uh, the authority in the room um, walked in. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not something that was really... Um, sort of slammed out in your face, so to speak. It was very subtly brought up yeah. to that point, and that it was just—it's hard to to look at it. And go, you know, is it a good thing that someone is willing to go in and stand up, or is it a bad thing that they need yeah. to stand up? Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I thought I thought a lot about this after I yeah. read it. So I'll, yeah. I'll try not to take over the interview. There. No, that's okay. I was <laughs> going to say I actually don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Have not. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, neither. I guess that's why I'm <laughs> still asking. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of that in there as well. You know, there's there's questions and there is issues that are raised where it's not um, necessarily an answer. It's mm -hmm. this is an issue. What do we do about it? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just trying to, I had another one in my brain for a second there, but I, I can't remember what it was. So um, I'm going to go back to the, the, the mother-daughter relationship because yeah. what I really liked about this, and I, I want to know if this was intentional, whether, whether mm -hmm. it was just a sort of, thing that happened but there's there's Akita and Tarasai but there's also Tarasai's mother who yeah. eventually comes out to Australia as well mm -hmm. um and that dynamic because you can see the way you've written it you can see the elements of her mother in her yeah. excuse me uh, and you can see almost that transference across the generations and mm -hmm. I don't want to say it's intergenerational trauma mm -hmm. because it's I think that's 
there's a lot of that going around at the moment in different stories that do it very well. This is yep. a little bit more personal than yep. that as a theme. Um, yep. Was that an intentional to draw those parallels and to draw that out between the three generations? Absolutely. Yeah, Excellent. definitely. It was also something that um, came very naturally and I didn't realise that it was happening until after I'd written the chapters and I was going back and reading them. Um, but, yeah, it, it this story is definitely very much one of um, women, you know, of yeah. mothers, daughters, sisters. Um, and, yeah, I, again, with you, I don't think um, I'd agree with you. It's not... It has elements of intergenerational trauma. Hmm. Um, and I think with, you know, the mother, um, Adele, and then um, Tarasai, and then Akita, you sort of see how with each generation, there's a resistance for what is expected of hmm. each woman. And sort, yeah. of, it sort of, it ends with Akita. Hmm. Um, and not to spoil or anything, but she, she is the um, decider that she's not going to be anybody that um, she's not going to be someone built out of anybody else's expectations, but her own. Yeah. 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 No, I think that was very well, well done at the end. And one thing that I was, um, I think it's, it's good that it didn't go into this, but one thing that I was left wanting to see at the end um which I think is a good place to tell I'm, I'm basically trying to say, I'm not saying you should have gone further, but I just <laughs> would have liked to see. Um, it would be very interesting to see that how Akita um, was as an adult beyond 21. So whether or not she did go down the family path, whether or not she did her own thing, um, and to see how that then progressed into a fourth generation, which yeah. uh, I think by the time you get to four generations, it's getting a bit complex. And, you know, <laughs> that's why I'm going to say it's, it's perfect the way it is, but um it was just a, a, a wandering thought. That yeah. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, and like you said, this is not about, um, this, is, this is about the the women in the story, uh, particularly Tara and Akita, um, but also you've got uh, Evelyn who has an interesting story too. Nice. Um, and one of the things that I, I really wanted to, I, I was, my, my ability to ask questions seems to be disappearing at the moment, so I apologise for that. But looking at at Santo, the story is not about him, but he has a big influence on it just by basically his misbehaviours and the like. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess what I'm sort of trying to get at there is whether or not this is an, an, um, an intentional part of the story and how you saw his story. Because it for, for me, when I was reading it, I found it was it was an excellent way of showing how behaviors um, we'll let that get out. Um, but there is, because he's the eldest mm -hmm. and also because he's male, there are certain expectations of him and there's certain ways in which he's treated. Mm -hmm. um, and some of that is, you know, sort of explored in there a little bit, mm -hmm. but it was very interesting to see that he's not the main court character. He's not the protagonist. Mm -hmm. but he still has a big impact on it, which I yeah. thought was a very good way of showing um, sometimes just how little control particularly Akita had yeah. on her own life. Um, I just wanted to, I don't even know what the question is, but I'm wondering <laughs> if you wanted to explore that a little bit or how that worked for you, putting that in um, there. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, and uh, with Santo, I did really want to um, sort of highlight that because he is the um, sort of, he's the eldest mm. um, and he's also the male um, and also not to spoil, but when the father figure does sort of leave. Um, I still when, haven't forgiven him for that. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> when he leaves, it sort of puts Santo in this position where he has to step up and sort of be the quote-unquote man of the house. But, you know, you see it in the story that it's too much pressure for him and he's already, you know, going through a whole bunch and because he can't really um, sort of sustain it at all, even if um, Santino, the father, didn't leave, Mm. he still would have crumbled, you know, regardless. And you sort of see how because, you know, the father left because Santino left, and because Santo crumbled, you see how Akira has to be the one to sort of step up yeah. and be um, the pillar that holds her siblings up and holds her mother up. Um, and even Santo at various points, but um, yeah, it doesn't really seem to work out for her. And you also see it in the mother as well, Tarasai. Yeah. She isn't blind to any of it, especially when the father first leaves. But she sort of, um, and this is part of, you know, her intergenerational trauma and how um, sort of you see how her mother, how Tarasai's mother raising her sort of comes into play, especially when Santino leaves. Um, she sort of hardens up a little bit and um, expects so much more of Akita because she sees that she's capable, more capable than Santo. Um, yeah. It's that curse of being the competent one, isn't it? It's the... Yeah. Um... You know, the more you do, the more people expect you to do. And exactly. Yeah. It, it's it's interesting that that was a lot of the dynamic between her and her own mum, and it was the one yep. thing she wanted to avoid. And then, yeah, situation. Um, yeah. Although she seemed like a pretty tough uh, individual beforehand as well, considering mm. she was in Cairo, she was the yep. uh, rum maker. Oh yeah, um, she was the infamous was cool. rum maker. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. That is uh, actually a true story. I will say oh, that really? when, we lived, when we yeah when we lived in um, Cairo in Giza in the little village. One of the ways that, um, and we actually did live on like a the highest floor in a 14-story um, apartment complex mm-hmm. and the, the landlord did actually live on the roof. Um, yeah. and she was a bit of a nutter. Um, I was going to ask about that as well because that yeah. was really it. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but what was I saying? Yeah, my mom actually did, um, you know, my dad was working at an office, but mm-hmm. one of the ways that my mom made money um, was, yeah, she used to brew rum illegally out of our kitchen and sell it to the people of Giza. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a great story. Um, and did it really look out over the pyramids as well? It did. It did. Nice. My, I shared a bedroom with my brother and our bedroom looked out into, yeah, the Great Pyramid. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy because, you know, I was five, six, looking out that same window. We'd never really Mm -hmm. go downstairs um, and play in the street and stuff. But, yeah, we'd look out the window and we'd see pyramids. And when you you see that all the time as, like, a five, six-year-old, you think it's normal. So Mm -hmm. when we came to Australia, I was like, hang on, where 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 are all the pyramids? Yeah, Yeah, where are all their pyramids? (laughs) Why is there grass everywhere? (laughs) Yeah, I've I've never been to Egypt, but um, I've sailed up the Red Sea and it was really interesting um, thing there when we'd look out on one side and we'd just see random pyramids and it was it was really otherworldly um so to read that bit is just like the normal it was yeah uh, it was great (laughs) um the 
I understand this one was obviously inspired by your own family and your own uh, journey and the like. Um, but I'm wondering what else, were, were there any other influences in there? Like, you know, in, in regards to authors, books that you've read before, um, what sort of got you into the point where you went, you know what, I can mm. actually write my own? Um, well, a lot of Hopeless Kingdom, and this is something that I hope readers can mm-hmm. sense or at least... Um, uh, yeah, I hope it's something they can, that they can sense. Um, a lot of the scenes, um, so when I first wrote the the first draft and I realised it was too personal, I took a lot of sort of the experiences and interactions out. But one thing that remained is a lot of the, you know, the places in the book are, come from my own memories of those places. Um, and I think it's um, it's one of the things one of the many things that I'm very proud of with this book. Mm. And I hope that, you know, it's based in Cairo um, and in Sydney in a place called Auburn. And it's also placed yep. in. Um... I lived around the corner from there for a little while. Did you so... really? Yeah. Oh, I loved Auburn. I've, I've got another comparison for you later. Just remind me, but. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'll let you finish. <laughs> no, that's okay. And Geelong. And um, I hope people from all those places, people who grew up in those places, um, feel seen um, and connect to it as much as I did writing it. But coming back to the question, um, I read Boy Swallows Universe um, by Trent Dalton a few months before um, I wrote Helpless Kingdom. And one thing I loved was just the, I mean, obviously the way that the story is told, which is mm. so beautifully, but also it captures. It's got away with words, doesn't he? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he captures. Um, the beauty in such ugly moments Mm. and a lot of the way that he does that uh, I guess the magic in it is you know the the how he sets the scene I feel like I'm there you know even in in you know the moments in the story when you don't want to be the bits are a bit ugly Um, and it's one of those books where like after reading it it feels like even like years I haven't read it in years but Mm. um still to this day when I think about Boy Swallows Universe um I have memories of it as if I actually traveled there yeah yeah so I'd say yeah Boy Swallows Universe definitely nice yeah that's um I think Captain Corelli's mandolin is the one for me with with that it's um very similar it's that that whole you feel like when the scene is set and when it's you know when they they wrote there I can use words um when they write it out it's, it's it's amazing um yeah so yeah, but yeah, look, Trent is an amazing author, and um, mm. it's the uh, Danny V, obviously the host of the Main Words and Nerds podcast. Um, mm. She was absolutely she uh, blown away by it um, when it first yeah. came out, and I think she she was one of the earliest adopters of the uh, the Trent Dalton bandwagon. So <laughs> uh, well deserved as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what I was going to say, the really interesting bit, sorry, a bit of a tangent here, no, um, was, okay. was early on when when the family first came to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, there is actually a namesake uh, character in there. Um, there's Nathan, the, uh, uh, I think he was assisting with the um, the migration and that. Yeah. But what made it interesting is that um, for those who, I think I've spoken about my partner, Roz, before, but she's actually, she's first generation Australian um, and her mother was from the Philippines, came out when she was, um, I think, early 20s. Um, mm-hmm. So next thing I know, I'm reading the story and there's, Nathan and his Filipino wife. Um, <laughs> no, it's not quite the same, but you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But yeah, and then I um, 
I, I lived off oh, and the Sydney people are probably going to tell me this is nowhere near, but for someone who grew up, you know, hundred Ks from the closest town, mm. um, it seemed close, <laughs> but I was in, uh, in, in a West um, somewhere. It was moving around when I was in the Navy, North Strathfield. That was it. So, oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so a little bit, a little bit further out and north, I think. It's been a while. Yeah, there's there's a few things in there where I was looking at going, I know that. Oh, I love uh, that. I love that. Yeah. Um, but I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, uh, we were talking about it beforehand when I was just basically, you know, going on about how much I loved it. Um, and it, like I said, it's a very, it's a very personal story, but it's. Yeah. I, it really does, and um, I'm I'm going to go on a bit of a monologue here. I apologise, but okay. it it is one of those ones where the story is very personal, but the way in which it captures you is quite. It, it's broad enough to capture everyone and then bring it to the single point and say, yeah. "You think you're experiencing this, but this is what the story is, and this was my experience in that scenario." Um, yeah. My being the the characters, so um, yeah, yeah, well done on that. Um, Thank just, you. <laughs> that's all right. I'll, I'll stop. Uh, I, I have a habit of doing this. I, no. Danny sends me all of the best stories to read. Um, that was the other one I wanted to ask as well, actually. Um, and I promise I won't tell, turn this into an entire one of me saying, did this really happen in your life? But uh, I'll ask one more question about Santo being early on back in the 14th, uh, 14 story building in Egypt. Um, the jumping through the window thing. Yeah. Is that real? Yes. Oh, yeah, that, that is, that is. So a lot of the, like the first, mm. maybe I'd say up to definitely the Egypt part of the mm. book. Um, and I'd say the first few chapters of them arriving in Sydney, a lot of that yeah. actually did happen, including, yeah, me and my <laughs> brother just, jumping from one window to the next. I just, I, I, <laughs> I, I feel for Tarasai in that one, in that particular moment. I think that was the yeah. point where, you know, Particularly as a you know a father of at least one daredevil kid, um, yeah. not quite to that level, but um, <laughs> we've got one that's very cautious and one that is yeah. absolutely yeah, someone will catch me sort. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, that that just yeah at that oh, point you know what, though, because with the my, <laughs> because he's my older brother. Um, yeah. So I was six at the time and he was eight. He could convince me to do anything, oh, and in absolutely. my mind I knew it was wrong, but I'd still do it anyway because yeah. you know falling, plummeting, better <laughs> yeah. than being called a wuss by my older brother. So yep. um, yeah, I did it. But it's so funny because I look like I I remember it happening, but and I remember being terrified. Um, but it's like when I think back to it now, it's not no, it's nowhere near as nightmarish. Mm-hmm. As it, you know, as it was for me, then for my mum, you know, she doesn't she yeah. can't talk about it till this day. She can't talk about the, <laughs> that. Oh, incident. I don't blame her. <laughs> it was, yeah, as, as a parent, it was terrifying to read yeah. for fictional kids, let alone to know that real kids did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on to slightly less, uh, you know, um, you know, heart attack moments. Um, one thing that I really should have asked before, uh, but as I said, I'm a bit over, all over, all that, yeah like that at the moment um when is the book actually due to come out because it's not too far away from memory august 1st august 1st excellent yep, the very first of august yeah so oh wow that is close i just had a look yep i, bet, I better get this episode out quick then um <laughs> so <laughs> by the time it comes out it will probably be out there um yep. so out from uh uwa press uh yep. that's in in that one um but i'll certainly be getting a hard copy because this is one of those ones where it, it i think it there's something about the tactile feeling of holding a book that makes yeah, it more personal. I completely agree. Yeah. 
Um, but following that, it goes out, you know, it's going to go nuts. It's going to be amazing and all that sort of stuff. And you get inundated with things to write next. Um, in that scenario, what are the, the future plans? Like what, what comes after this, you know, after Hopeless Kingdom for you? Um, I've got a few ideas for, um, you know, projects or things that I want to, or stories that I want to write that are already sort of brewing in the back of my mind and have been for a little bit, but, you know, because Helpless Kingdom's starting to have its time in the sun, I've been focusing all my attention on that. But, um, yeah, I've got a few stories that um, are in various varying degrees of completion. Um, There's one about, um, like, two Sudanese girls who find out they have the same father, but completely different mothers and they find each other. And that is also one where, you know, they're both, they're both first generation Australians. Yeah. Um, I also, I'm thinking about doing a prequel to Hope okay. Kingdom. Um, and it's sort of following on, um, following Tara, young Tara's story. Cause it sort of, it touches on it. Uh, actually more than touches on it in the book you know she sort of flashes back to her younger self and all the things that she's gone through but I'd love to sort of delve deeper into that um and yeah I would love to maybe this is you know a couple years from now but I'd love to branch out into the fantasy sci-fi genre because much like you I are I love that's my favorite genre to read um I would always encourage people to do that genre yeah yeah not my favorite to write just yet just because I feel like I'm just starting to find my bearings um but yeah I would love to that is a huge dream of mine and I think um I'll know when I'm ready but I know I think that's sooner than I think if that makes sense yeah no I don't know you know it's one of those things that um it, it creeps up and yeah exactly yeah but I'm, I'm not I'm yeah I'm all about letting things flow and come to me and I don't really yeah with my writing I, I never like to force anything but um yeah the stories that I have in my mind at the moment are very exciting mm. <laughs> I'm excited about them. well they, they sound and certainly I'm um, hearing about Tarasai's uh youth growing up and mm-hmm. um that would be a whole different because one of the things that really I I didn't realize about this until I was sort of a little bit through is that it starts in Egypt. And then it goes to Australia in, mm-hmm. in different uh, stages. Mm-hmm. And we actually don't see the sedan bit, which makes sense because with yeah. uh, Akira, she's six. So mm-hmm. by the time she's spent some time in Egypt, yeah, she hasn't actually got that long in um, in sedan. Yeah. Um, but it would be really interesting to, uh, to see how she grew up and how she got her run-making skills exactly. and the like there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So normally... Um, Normally when we finish this up, um, the, the question that I, I, I still want of Danny's questions of uh, why do you write? Yeah. I think you've well and truly answered that one. <laughs> um, so I'm actually, I'm a little, at a little bit of a loss as to what the final question should be because it needs to be a difficult one. It needs to be a thought-provoking one. It needs to be a really okay. good one to end on. Yeah. So let me, uh, sorry, give me a second. I'll think of something. No, go on, take a <laughs> Um. All right, here's one that is a bit of a more important uh, one. Why is it so important for people um, to write stories from diverse perspectives and reflecting the real experiences they have in a fictionalised way to get it out to people? Um, 
that's a really good question. <laughs> um, in some ways it's obvious, but in other ways it's not at all. I guess mm. to, to be seen. I was always one of those kids who I was such a consumer of mm. you know, books, of films, and um, I was never really cognizant of the fact that uh, until I grew up, until I was about like nine, ten, I had that moment of like, oh, wait, hang on. None of these people look like me. You know, I relate to a lot of them, but, you know, they don't really represent me. Um, and it was something that uh, it was easy to brush off um, as a kid. But as you sort of grow up, you sort of see the impacts. You know, my younger siblings, um, I sort of watched them go through the same thing. And when you watch that secondhand, it hurts a lot more. Um, and, you know, I've got nephews and a niece now. And, you know, to think that I don't want them going through what I did, especially in, you know, the Australian society as it is today. Um, and it's so, it's ever-changing, you know, yeah. especially, um, yeah, like when we first came to Geelong, we were one of the first Sunnis families. And now Geelong is such a multicultural place um, full of diverse people from very, very diverse backgrounds. And I think that the work that is coming out into the world needs to reflect that. Yeah, um, so people feel seen and heard and part of part of a community um, and part of like to feel like they belong. Because I feel like the consequences of not belonging is something that, you know, we as humans are yet to fully understand. Yeah. That was um, part of my master's dissertation was on that. And it's very interesting when other people control how a population is seen or how a population draws its identity. Yep. It rarely ends well for that population. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 100% with you. And it's, it's interesting. I want to draw back to a couple of points in the, in the, um, in the story. One of them that, Again, it really stood out was when the, I think it was the Geelong school principal said, oh, you're the first African students we've had yeah. in this school. And he, he thought he was doing the right thing, saying, oh, yeah. this is amazing. You're all amazing. But yeah. for Akita, obviously, it was it was a really horrible scenario and feeling yeah. for her to be put on that pedestal and go, hey, look, these people are different. Exactly. Um, yeah, especially, you know, um, right after moving from Auburn. Yeah. It's such a multicultural place. Oh, it is. I love going through there um, yeah. for that exact reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. And well, look, I think that's a that's an excellent answer. <laughs> Thank you. No worries. Look, um, I might might leave it there. It's getting towards the end of our time there, but I, I just want to thank you very much um, for sharing your manus manuscript, Hopeless Kingdom. Uh, it'll be out August 1st, most likely after this episode's aired, so it should be out now. Highly recommend you go see it. Uh, go see it. It's already a movie in my head. Um <laughs> go read it it's it's fantastic it'll uh it will definitely tug at the heartstrings in different ways um and i i can't recommend it highly enough thank you very much thank you nathan i appreciate it no worries Thank you to everyone who's tuned in for this episode as well. I highly recommend Kashaka Maketch's Hopeless Kingdom. It's a debut novel. It's available at UWA Press, so it's, uh, or publishing, I should say. It's uwap.uwa.edu.au, and you can follow the links from there. It's also available at uh, a number of other bookstores, like online. You've got, you know, Kidimix, Booktopias, QBDs, or all the, uh, any bookstore that's uh, carrying good books, basically.
If you're looking for past episodes of the regular, you can find them at nathanjphillipswrites.com. Uh, but if you want to get into the Words and Dirts universe and see some of the other plethora of amazing spin-offs, including uh, Burgers, Beers and Books with Ben Hobson, you've got a bunch of takeovers there. There's one at the moment with Alex Duke and uh, Jack's, uh, sorry, Jack Heath. Uh, and the Writing Diaries with Sarah Bailey. There's a, just a huge world that if you're... If you've got a niche, if you've got an interest, there's going to be a spin-off there or an episode there for you. Um, take a look at that, wordsandnerds.com. Otherwise, I will catch you next time. Thanks.